You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, everyone. This is the Ask Annie podcast, Horse Girl reviews on products you use. This episode is brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim. The Beringer Ingelheim portfolio of joint health products gives horses the freedom to move. Explore the comprehensive collections at bi-animalhealth.com. Dr. Julie Setledge is the Equine Professional Services Veterinarian at Berringer Ingelheim and is an ACVS board-certified large animal surgeon. She graduated from Virginia, Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine in 2000. She returned to her alma mater in 2009 as a clinical assistant professor, serving as section chief of the Large Animal Equine and Medical Service. Dr. Setledge has been with BI since May of 2020, and in her current role gets to serve veterinarians in numerous ways, whether that's helping increase their knowledge around disease, providing workshops to develop leadership skills, or wet labs to improve their psychomotor skills. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Setledge. Thank you for having me. This is really going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited too. So I remember one of my professors in college uh, telling us that a horse only has one chance at joint health. Make sure you take care of them. Can you explain why joint health is so important to horse care? Absolutely. Your professor was certainly on to something, you know, because joints are one of an animal's most amazing engineering marvels. Um, They are designed to provide almost frictionless movement and allow all of us to move uh, in a perfect state pain-free. Unfortunately, the amazing engineering that we're born with comes with a price, and the mechanisms our bodies use to fix an injury are imperfect in joints. So if a joint gets even a little bit damaged, through healing, even if a horse shows no overt symptoms of that damage, the joint will heal imperfectly, And that imperfection will start what I like to call a flywheel of disease, uh, of osteoarthritis. So once uh, once the joint has that little bit of imperfection, it will actually lead over time to more and more and more inflammation and more and more disease. So that's why osteoarthritis, once it starts, is a progressive disease state in horses and in us. You know, so it's really important uh, that if we can keep those joints perfect, which that's that's an idealized world, we all will accumulate little bits of damage, no matter even if we're couch potatoes or, or, or um, you know pasture pets, we will all uh, accumulate a little bit of damage over time. And it's it's nice if we can get in our old age and still be able to get up and go without much joint pain. But we can see that even in most of our animals, dogs, cats, even us and our horses, uh, that over time we will develop osteoarthritis as we age. And then given the sports that horses do uh, with their humans uh, increases their risk of osteoarthritis. So your professor was certainly on to something there. (laughs) Why is osteoarthritis such a common ailment for horses? So again, like I said, if you think about it, osteoarthritis is common in all of our domestic 
domesticated species and, and even in us. Uh, here I am about what I would say about halfway through my professional career. And I have osteoarthritis in one of my shoulders and one of my knees uh, as a result of the job that I've had for the past 20 plus years. So as we age, we accumulate more and more of those small imperfections that start that flywheel of, uh, of disease. And they start small and what I would call clinically insignificant. So if it's a horse with these small imperfections, this small inflammation in their joints, we're not going to notice that. As an owner, we're not necessarily going to notice that. And so if we're lucky, uh, the... You know, no more imperfections occur or the, they stay small and we don't see clinical signs of disease. But as that flywheel starts going, over time, we'll accumulate a little bit more damage and we'll become, the horse will become uh, clinically affected. Affected, And that could be um, a, a horse that needs, has a little bit of stiffness and needs to be warmed up out of that stiffness. They might uh, have a little bit of poor performance that you're going to call your veterinarian about and say it's just not not doing as well as he has in the past. Uh, and that can include poor attitudes around some types of work. Uh, and then over time, eventually some overt lameness because that joint has accumulated enough damage that now needs more specific treatments. Uh, and so I'm not, not sure that horses actually have osteoarthritis more commonly than other animals, but since horses partner with us to do so many athletic things, osteoarthritis in horses can prevent us from enjoying our shared sport. Uh, so that's why it's really important to work with a veterinarian to keep the joints as healthy as possible so that the horse can uh, enjoy, we can enjoy our horses in our chosen sport for as long as possible. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned that we are always in such close partnership with them because as riders and horse owners, we're always looking for ways that we can help our horses be more comfortable um, and help them be more maintained. So Bermier Ingelheim offers a variety of products that helps horse owners maintain joint health, such as Equiox and Legend. What do these types of products do to help maintain joints? So the, that's a great question. These are two very different drug classes. Equiox is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, and you'll hear me refer to that as an NSAID. It just rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. And it's considered a symptom-modifying osteoarthritis drug, meaning it helps relieve the discomfort of osteoarthritis. Uh, it's painful, uh, uh, mildly, hopefully, but some horses can have, or us, could have significant osteoarthritis, and it can be a lot painful. And so the symptom-modifying osteoarthritis drug, Equiox, an NSAID, allows the horse to be more comfortable despite having some of that arthritis in one or more joints. Uh, and it's, it's like me taking some ibuprofen uh, for my knee osteoarthritis. Versus Legend, it's hyaluronic acid, which is, uh, hyaluronic acid is a large component of joint fluid that normally occurs in all of our joints. Hyaluronic acid is part of the system uh, that provides that friction-free lubrication within the joints. We're designed to have it. We have a lot of it. And uh, the, the drug hyaluronic acid is considered a disease-modifying osteoarthritis drug, meaning it can help slow that flywheel down. Uh, that, that osteoarthritis is progressive, but it might help slow down that progression if we use that drug. So it can help keep these abnormal joints as healthy as possible for longer. Wow, that's really interesting and definitely two very different uh, types of 
yeah, types of maintenance mm. styles for, for your horse. Yeah, we can attack osteoarthritis from several different avenues, uh, which can, again, benefit those joints um, beautifully by attacking that osteoarthritis from, from different viewpoints. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, Equiox is the only cyclooxygenase inhibitor, inhibiting class non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, which you so wonderfully acronymed, uh, approved for horses. Can you explain why this classification is so important? Yeah, absolutely. But first, just a little bit of clarity. All non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or all NSAIDs are cyclooxygenase inhibitors. And I'm going to shorten mm. cyclooxygenase into COX for simplicity. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. And so these drugs, there are, for, for simplicity purposes, we're going to talk about two different COX enzymes. There's COX-1 and COX-2. COX-1 is an enzyme that is, for the most part, and I'm, I'm simplifying, but for the most part, is in our tissues all the time. And it has a role specifically as associated with um, NSAIDs. Uh, uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But its role in our bodies is to uh, keep things healthy. And so it has a big impact on making sure our gastrointestinal or gut lining, the mucosa that lines our gut, it, it, it's responsible for helping keeping that healthy. The, and the other COX is COX-2, and it's a bit different. It is mainly expressed in our bodies when a tissue is damaged, when it's inflamed. Uh, and it's responsible for some of those symptoms we have in osteoarthritis. So uh, some swelling uh, and pain and, and, you know, all of those things are, are caused by uh, that COX-1 enzyme. And so NSAIDs in general block both of those Coxes, COX-1 and hmm. 2. Uh, and so again, I'm trying to keep it simple. So the NSAIDs that we, other NSAIDs that we use in horses like flunixin or phenylbutazone inhibit both forms of those COX enzymes. And so you can see why if we inhibit both, not only are we addressing the ones that are the COX-2 that is associated with inflammation, but unfortunately we're blocking the one that is important for health uh, of keeping our mucosa and our intestine healthy. And that's why we can get some side effects uh, when we use um, phenylbutazone or flunixin, one of the side effects in some horses can be ulcer, ulcerations in their gastrointestinal system. And contrast that with Equiox, it's what we call a COX-1 sparing NSAID. And so it, it targets COX-2, which is the inflammation COX, and spares the cox that is there normally in health. And so as a result, we have a much better safety profile. In fact, you can give, don't recommend it, but if you accidentally give your horse way too much Equiox, uh, the, the, it, it's not going to have as, uh, uh, as big of a risk as if you give way too much flunixin or phenylbutazone. So, so that's what's nice uh, is it improves the safety profile of um, our insides by sparing that COX-1 and only targeting that COX-2. Wow, I'm that's I definitely learned something new, but I <laughs> I totally appreciate that because you you definitely want to be helping the the ailment that you can see on your horse, but in in return you don't necessarily want to be hurting other things that Absolutely. you don't necessarily know are happening. So that as it. a horse owner, that gives me so much peace of mind. So I yeah, appreciate absolutely. that. <laughs> sure. Um 
So we talked about Equiox, but how is it administered and why does BI offer two different types of administration uh, methods for this product? Yep. So historically, we actually had three methods. Oh. Uh, uh, and so uh, the two methods that we have currently are a tablet form and a paste form. So both of which are given orally. Uh, and we used to have an injectable form, but that has uh, gone off the market. Uh, and the reason we have two uh, forms is uh, we have a pill uh, that is designed to uh, work with what I will call your average sized horse. And so it's really easy to dispense, right? Uh, as a veterinarian, as an owner, to remember the average sized horse, average sized horse gets one pill a day. It makes it really easy. Uh, but then we have much smaller horses. Uh, we have horses that go into competition that uh, accurate dosing might be very important from a uh, regulatory and testing perspective that they can't have too much in their bloodstream or they might get a positive um, blood test uh, in those regulated sports. And so, and then we don't, even though it's really safe, we don't want to overdose. It's not 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 a wise thing to do for any, any drug. And so our paste form allows for very, very accurate dosing, even down to even the littlest of horses. And, and so that's uh, the ease of administration for the, the tablet, for your average sized horse. Uh, and then the paste is available for horses that need um, uh, accurate dosing uh, or the pill is just too much. Uh, and so we can give these tiny horses tiny amounts with the paste. Perfect. Wow. So when I was researching Legend and Equiox, I found that they are similar and that they're both used for osteoarthritis. However, Legend is also in, is injected while, as we were just speaking about, Equiox is given orally. Can you comment on the differences? Sure. So uh, again, as a drug, and this is what's really cool about uh, drug companies, is you have to prove uh, in the R&D to develop a, a drug, you have to prove um, one, uh, that it works and two, that it's safe. And so, uh, you know, the, the difference is, is we know if we inject legend, uh, which is hyaluronic acid, into the vein of a horse, we have research to support that uh, it is both effective and safe versus giving, uh, and there are uh, nutraceuticals, uh, so uh, there are products that provide hyaluronic acid as an oral supplement, uh, and they are considered a, a nutraceutical or are not regulated. Uh, and so whether or not they uh, have efficacy, uh, um, you know, the, the, it's up to those individual uh, companies to, to determine that. And they don't have a regulatory requirement to determine that, but as a drug, we have to. And so we know by giving Legend IV that we are causing uh, benefit to the horse uh, in lameness. And the same thing with Equiox. The reason, uh, again, that's a drug that is... Uh, ultimately provided by the, just uh, prescribed by a veterinarian, but provided by the owner. And uh, that type of drug needs to be in a form that uh, owners are comfortable giving. And so popping that pill into the grain or, or the Equiox comes as a paste um, that's similar to deworming paste, being able to administer that into the mouth to make it easy for the owner. Uh, Equiox you did used to have an injectable form, again, provided by the veterinarian. Uh, so 
anything injected needs to be given by the veterinarian and anything orally needs to be um, provided in a way that an owner can easily do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our R&D supports that it's absorbed orally uh, and has a beneficial effect uh, to the horse. So there you go. Awesome. How should horse owners uh, work with their veterinarians to know which solution is best for their horses? Excellent. Yeah. So again, uh, Equiox and Legend are just a few of the myriad of things that veterinarians can pull for uh, in a given situation uh, for to support a joint uh, in or joint health in horses, be it one joint or multiple joints. Mm-hmm. And so every horse has a little bit different issue, right? Uh, and some of them might have, uh, you know, one joint that's an issue that's mild. Others might have multiple joints that are causing them a lot of different issues. And then every horse is also attached to an owner. And the owner comes with their own set of, of needs and concerns. They might be pointing for a show in two weeks or big event in two weeks. The horse, the, the owner might be a seasonal uh, warrior on the weekend uh, and only have uh, a, a specific needs for their horses occasionally. Some horses are in light work or no work part of the year and their arthritis doesn't bug them because of the low mm. level of work. But then the owner decides, well, this spring I'm going to get back in shape with my horse and that low level of arthritis now in that increased level of work now is causing that horse problems. Uh, And so the owner recognizes that and then calls their veterinarian. And so then the veterinarian has to get information about what's going on specifically in the horse, information from the owner about uh, what their needs uh, and goals are for their horse, and then combine those to come up with a treatment plan. And so a lot of horses are on Equiox. uh, A lot of horses are on Legend. A lot of horses are on both. And then there's a myriad of other things that a veterinarian could choose from to help uh, the horse get more comfortable and maintain and protect that joint that also meets that owner's goals. Oh, awesome. Yeah, really formatting whatever solution is best for that combination. Are there any... Are there any common ailments that are used for one or the other, or is it just like you said, just very specific case by case? It's specific, typically specific case by case. I do see uh, out in the the greater horse population, a lot of horses with just a, uh, you know, they, they might be middle-aged horses uh, that uh, have a, uh, what I'll call a little bit of osteoarthritis uh, that are well-maintained on Equiox and they don't need, uh, they, they are one, uh, much more comfortable and can stay on that. Uh, and it's off-label if an owner wants, to, uh, if a veterinarian wants to prescribe that for long-term use, um, but it's been shown um, that uh, uh, horses can do well on that and they might not need anything else. And there's other horses that might have a little bit more advanced arthritis uh, or have higher goals, or maybe they have are getting ready to go into a more intense training program where we know that that micro damage uh, is that wear and tear on that joint might be at an increased risk of happening. And so the the owner and the veterinarian decide that, that we're going to do some additional treatments, again, to try and keep that flywheel of osteoarthritis as slow as possible. And that's where they might use uh, a combination of the two or even pull in some, joint, some uh, drugs that might be injected into the joint itself to maintain joint health. Wow. Yeah. 
So jumping back into your personal experience, in doing my research, I found that prior to joining BI, you spent a large portion of your career at your alma mater, Virginia Tech. Uh, Teaching seems to be one of your strong suits, definitely. What do you enjoy most about teaching new veterinarians, and how do you feel it's impacted you in your own career? Wow, that's a, I love this question. So uh, (laughs) when I came back to Virginia Tech in 2009 to teach at the vet school there, uh, I, it was like I was thrown, I, you know, I was a veterinarian. I'd been a veterinarian for nine years. Uh, and it was like, all of a sudden, I have to learn this brand new skill. Uh, all of these teachers that taught me, uh, I modeled myself after them. But as I was continuing to teach, I realized, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I was a good veterinarian, but it didn't necessarily mean I was a really good teacher. And Virginia Tech supported me in getting my master's in education, which then just really uh, turned my approach into how I teach uh, not only veterinary students, but then veterinarians themselves. And I learned that for me, seeing veterinarians gain skill and their excitement in learning different ways of approaching a disease or getting a hand psychomotor skill for you know, putting a needle in a joint or you know I'm a surgeon learning how to do field-based surgeries that they can do in the field seeing the excitement of and their joy of building these new skill sets fed me uh, that all of a sudden I didn't need to be the one treating the horses and I could gain great joy and the success and helping other veterinarians uh, gain uh, excitement, success, business revenue uh, from their own skill sets. And so that's where my life changed uh, from needing to be the person providing, being the veterinarian, the end go veterinarian to, which I still enjoy but I get more joy out of building up uh, those, uh, the others and their abilities to provide uh, service to the horses that I love too. So uh, wow. it's awesome. I love it. That sounds extremely rewarding. It is. It <laughs> absolutely is. Would you say that teaching is your favorite part of your role at BI now? Absolutely. And what's cool about that, I tell everyone this, uh, they ask, what do you like about BI better than being in academia? And I was like, well, I don't have to test anyone anymore. Just, I can teach you all you want to learn, uh, and then I don't have to grade you. Uh, and as, as and I know that assessments in education are really, really important, uh, but it's it's kind of nice not to have to uh, write test questions and ensure other people uh, get the grade. I don't like to be grade focused, and and my role in BI, uh, I have an attentive audience. I usually go into places that um, want you know that want me to be there, uh, mm-hmm. versus a student uh, that's taking a class because they have to be there. There's a big difference in that, and so I get all of the good without the irritations that can come with uh, the the other side of being a teacher. <laughs> Absolutely. Why is continued education so important for horse owners and veterinarians alike? Yeah, so it's a, and I'm going to throw out joint health in this space too. It's a constant changing world. Uh, Science is uh, growing. The body of evidence that our researchers are contributing to is uh, growing on a daily basis. There are 
new information about how osteoarthritis progresses, uh, what are the enzymes in there that are causing the body to degrade the joint even more. Uh, and then we're learning more about the drugs that are available, that, that have been available, that are available currently. And then there are more and more and more things that are available to try and treat uh, you know, joint health. And that's just one part of it. It's true across the health, all systems and, and, and horses, humans, dogs, cats, whatever it happens to be. And so if we just learn up until we graduate from vet school, we don't grow with that body of evidence. And we might not, might not be doing what's best for our patients if we don't continue to learn and continue to um, see new things, try new things, be exposed to new things and continue to be curious. And so we'll be stuck 10 years ago uh, with what we're doing. And that's um, not great for our owners and our, our horses that we treat. Yeah, constantly evolving, absolutely. Constantly evolving. <laughs> And it can be confusing. And so having a network of people to rely on, uh, and, you know, even as a veterinarian, uh, have, going to continuing education classes, being curious about uh, what that new technology is, asking questions, finding those uh, other people that uh, might be experts in one spot or another spot and calling them and saying, hey, this is what's going on in a couple of my cases. Uh, and I've heard about this new thing. Uh, do you think it would be appropriate? And can I do it? Yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Really utilizing your community. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any new products on the horizon, joint or non-joint related from BI that listeners should keep an eye out for? Uh, so nothing uh, on the immediate horizon right now in the horse world, but BI spends, I was just in a dinner with some leadership last night and found out that Boeinger Animal Health, Boeinger Eli Animal Health, uh, commits so, so, so much of their profits straight back into research and development for ongoing uh, uh, learning more about disease processes and how can we develop products that will help uh, animal own, uh, our animals to combat those disease processes. And so we're one of the number one reinvestors back into uh, uh, R&D uh, out there. And I was, you know, it made me super proud to be part of this company and really excited to see what might be on the horizon uh, in uh, not only equine, but small animal and food animal health uh, as we go forward. Because uh, uh, BI does want to be a leader in that space. Uh, and it's just uh, uh, I, I, me too, looking forward to what might happen <laughs> in the future. Definitely. And just tying back into that question that we had before this on continuing education, you know, it's everything is constantly changing. And so Absolutely. it's really, it's really reassuring to know that BI is also, you know, committed to continuing education as far as research and development goes. So yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really cool to know that not only, you know, I'm a, a veterinarian that works with other veterinarians um, mm -hmm. through BI, but then we also employ uh, so many researchers and other veterinarians that are on that research and development side of things. Uh, and so we're spending resources not only to help our clinical veterinarians trying to stay up to date, but then our company is trying to stay cutting edge. Uh, and that's uh, and it, it just a, a neat combination for me. I'm a nerd and I, I love <laughs> seeing both sides of that. 
Yeah, that's really exciting. I'm excited for the future. Me too. <laughs> well, those are all the questions I had, Dr. Setledge. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I think we covered it. And I really appreciate you uh, calling me up and asking me if I would uh, participate today. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in. Learn more about the Ask Annie podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Ask Annie Podcast. Have a suggestion for a product you'd like me to use in an upcoming episode? Email me at askanniepodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on any of our social media pages. Find even more Ask Annie episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. The Ask Annie Podcast is a production of Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.